0: Wow. I could listen to that all night. That was beautiful. Speak, Lord. Story of Samuel, right? Samuel in the temple. Eli the high priest. And Samuel heard and he obeyed. And I could just picture the Lord taking him by like that verse, that last verse. Take him by the hand and lead the way. I could just picture the Lord doing that with little Samuel. Young Samuel, not little, young man Samuel. But yeah, what a blessing. I praise the Lord. Thank you. All right, take your Bibles, turn with me back to the book of Titus. Back to the book of Titus chapter 1, and we're going to continue just a little deeper study of dealing with the difficult and the maybe divisive, dangerous in the church. Every church has it. Every church goes through it, and so we just need to be discerning and aware and and ready to improve our church. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come now to the word and spend a little bit of time studying and reflecting and thinking about these things, we're so thankful that we are your children and that you've established this church. We want, Father, to improve the ministry here. We want it to be strengthened and to grow and to be blessed by you. We want there to be a spirit of unity and a commitment to one another and a commitment to open and caring communication. We want to be able to find our joy in the Lord continually and going back always to find our joy in the Lord, that it's, it's all about you. And so we pray, Father, that as we exalt Jesus and we lift him up and we follow after him passionately, that you in turn will bless and you will increase and you will allow our testimony to go further and the gospel to reach more than it ever has before. We are so thankful that you've called us together to be a church. And we ask your blessing upon our evening and our study and all the activities that will take place after in the praise and the glory of Jesus. Amen. So Titus, young man Titus, maybe 30s, maybe in his 40s, but probably in his 30s, young man Titus left on the island of Crete and he's going church to church, doing what I'm doing tonight. He's going and gathering the people together and speaking to them and saying, listen, we have a letter from Paul sent by the Holy Spirit And it's instructive for all of us because things are going fine, but there's always need for improvement. There's always an area where we need to improve and increase. And so let's work together and and accomplish it. And the first area is the motivation for why we should improve, the first four verses of chapter one. And the reason that we want to improve our ministry is because the gospel is is at stake. When we go out, people will hear the gospel. It's For the hearing of the faith of the gospel, for the elect, we go out. People hear the gospel, they believe, and they are given eternal life by the God who does not lie. That in itself is worth doing the very best we can at everything we do, right? So whenever we're out engaged in the community, representing Faith Baptist, representing the Lord Jesus Christ, we're always thinking the hearing and the believing of the unsaved world is the ultimate goal. It is the mission of the church. And we want to shine as bright and as clear of a light So people could hear and receive the eternal life given by God who does not lie. Isn't that a great motivator? We're going to get another motivator at the end of chapter 2. But then he addresses leadership and says, hey, we need to have leadership that looks like this. There has to be a home life. There has to be a private life. And uh, God says through Paul to Titus, there has to be uh, the ability to teach the scriptures, both to encourage the believers and to convict those who oppose the truth. And then, this morning, there was shocker, and the hard thing was, verse 10, for there are many, there are, currently, there are, there are going to be in every single church, many insubordinate, idle talkers, and deceivers. They come in, they, without any regard to authority, choose to, with their influence, gather a a little revolt, a rebellion, however you want to say it. And the the response, verse 11, their mouths must be stopped. Because, look at how dangerous they are, who subvert whole households. Whole families are being snatched up. And we looked at one of the groups that would do that. It's the group of the circumcision, uh, the Jewish people who added faith or added works to faith, not only for salvation, but also for the sanctifying process. And then, you know how we can be devoted to our traditions and we can elevate our traditions and we can begin to divide the church over such non-essentials. Um, he says later in verse 14 or verse 13 this testimony about the Cretans is true therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith i'll tell you what that is the hardest thing it is a great thing to go and have a bonfire after sunday night service no problem count me in as many times as i can make it but rebuking sharply those who oppose the truth who that's a hard task it's a very difficult thing does it have to be done Yes, is it urgent or is it, let's wait a little bit. It's urgent. Is it a serious problem or not a big deal? Serious problem. A lot is at stake for this very thing. So I mentioned at the end of the service, 1 Corinthians 3. So let's go there first, and then we're going to jump to the book of Jude. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, and I want to show you why it is such a dangerous issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 3, there's been a lot of division in the church. There's been a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, a lot of despair, a lot of discouragement. And Paul's reminding them, hey, when I came to Corinth, I planted seeds. Apollos came after and he watered them, but God is the one who gets the credit for all the spiritual growth and increase who are paul and apollos we are nobodies we are nothing it is all about christ it is all about god and he's going on and he's talking about the church that has been established in corinth verse nine for we the we is paul and apollos are god's fellow workers you who's the you the corinthian church the whole body of believers um, you are god's field so paul and apollos entered into corinth they did the planting and the watering. God gave the increase, and now the whole church is the field, the result of that type of ministry. Look at it. We can do that this week, you guys, it, here in Hermantown at Faith Baptist, although we're, my wife and I are going out of town now. But we you who remain, you are God's fellow workers in Hermantown to continue the harvest in the field. So you go out, you plant the seeds, somebody comes along and waters them, maybe Carla plants a seed, Ritter waters it, Vic plants a seed, Jenny waters it, a lot of planting and and watering goes on, God gives the increase, and then now we have here established a field, right? So we are the field, and he goes on, switches metaphors from a field to a building. You, at the end of verse 9, are God's building. Who's the you? You. The local church, all of the people together form a building. Now, let's, uh, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder versus human wisdom, all right? Paul says, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Paul laid the foundation by planting the seed. Who, who, Who built on it? Apollos with his watering, right? So it's Paul planting, Apollos watering, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So remember, what's the, what's the building? The whole local church. Not just one person, but the whole church is the building. What's the foundation? We find out in verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, so picture this, everybody. Jesus Christ is the foundation of Faith Baptist Church. It has been planted and watered over almost 50 years. And here is the field that we have right now. Okay? So we are God's field. We are the building. The foundation is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And now we're building in 2017. We're building on this foundation that has been established. By you being here tonight, that is critical. It's important. It helps. It it encourages. It strengthens the whole church family. But what's the warning? Be careful how you build in the church. Meaning in our ministry. What is Titus telling us to do? Improve our building of the ministry. Here, we're to be warned about how we do it, verse 11 or verse 12. Now, if anyone, anyone would include you and I, builds on this foundation, what's the foundation? It's the gospel. What building are we building? Our local church, the whole ministry, the teaching, the music, the giving, the prayers, the you name it, all of those things is what we're building, all right? If anyone builds on this foundation, and you've got now a choice of materials, gold, silver, precious stones, those are things that are honorable and lasting that please God. It's attitude. Do you think attitude would be part of this? Oh, you bet. Attitude would be reflected. A good, honorable attitude would be reflected in gold, silver, precious stones, um, All of those characteristics given for the pastor in Titus chapter 1 are gold, silver, precious. When you're using that type of character quality with the proper attitude and the right motive, God just blesses and blesses and blesses, right? What's wood, hay, and stubble? Things of the flesh. Things of the flesh are divisiveness, selfishness, pride. I mean, you name a host of attitudes and motives for not doing it right. And that's wood, hay, and stubble. Now, notice, we're not talking in our individual life, like it's all about Brian Wieda. I'm talking what we're building as a whole church, caring for one another, and, and, uh, and going out and reaching the last. Verse 13 says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, that's at the reward seat or the behemoth seat of Christ after the rapture, everybody's work will become clear. And the fire will test each one's work of what kind it is, of what sort it is. Is it wood, hay, stubble? Is it gold, silver, precious stone? So we're going to, listen, there's an accounting someday for each one of us. We are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an accounting for our days at Faith Baptist Church. And how we built, not just built in our own life. Like, I think we get the idea that the reward seat is, I'm going to stand up there and it's all about me. And God's going to all about me. I think God's saying, hey, it's all about the church and your participation in it. And how did you choose to build in the church? How did you choose to improve the ministry? Like Titus is encouraging us. So the fire, our works are going to be passed through, and it, the fire will test. Verse 14 if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, you get a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. You'll have a loss of reward, but he himself will be saved. I mean, once you're born again, you're going to heaven no matter what. But it's whether it's with rewards or with less rewards. Yet so as through fire. Verse 16. Now, here's the key. Do you not know something? Do you not know that you, plural, you all right here in this church are the temple of God? Now, when I say temple of God and you think Old Testament, what do you think? Go ahead. Okay, do you think it's the tabernacle? Or the temple, they were, they were similar. One was a, a movable structure. One was permanent. Yes, it's where God dwelt. In the Old Testament, you could go to a place and you could actually say, God dwells here and he doesn't dwell here. I mean, God is everywhere, right? But you could actually in the Old Testament say, God in the Shekinah glory dwells there but, and not over there in Shekinah glory. You could pinpoint the Shekinah glory. You agree? This text is saying, look at this. Faith Baptist Church, in our public gathering together, is, the, is a temple of God. It's, it's holy. It's, it's special to God. And then he goes on, and not only are we at the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you, not just in you personally, There is a unique sense in which the Holy Spirit dwells when we gather together, which is why gathering together is so important. If we don't gather together, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a special dwelling place in his temple like this. Is that cool? Would that make you want to get together a little bit more as the persecution and difficulties increase? Because this is in a unique sense where the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God in a special sense dwells. Okay. He dwells in us personally as well, but he dwells and moves in the church. Haven't we had that? We've experienced that before. Not with signs and wonders, but we have experienced a moving of the Holy Spirit when you know the Holy Spirit is here. The, the Holy Spirit is moving. And I have had people come, visitors come, and we'll have a song service, and then there'll be the time in the word. And when we leave, they'll be like, we can tell the Holy Spirit is here in a special sense, in a, in a unique way. And it's not that there's any visible signs and wonders, but you can tell, okay? And then he goes on, verse 17, here's, and here's the thing about Titus. If anyone, if anyone defiles the temple of God, now what's the temple of God? The local church. Anybody defiles or tampers with the local church, God will do what? Destroy him. God does not take it lightly, so that's why there's such a strong warning in Titus. Titus, don't let it happen. Don't let it get going. Don't let it pick up steam and fire. Rebuke them sharply. Let their mouth be stopped. You don't tamper with God's church. Now, if there's problems, yeah, you got to deal with it. But I'm talking the those that have that have um, that are insubordinate or have crept in or are creating division or or, or strife or whatever. He says this reason. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You are all the temple of God. And this is a holy place. And anyone who steps in to destroy it, God will destroy them. Big warning, little warning. Big warning. Something we should be aware of, something we should ignore. Something we should be aware of. Take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Take a quick look at Ephesians. I know we're going to get to Jude, hopefully. But look at Ephesians chapter 2 for a, another similar powerful thought. Verse 19, Ephesians 2 verse 19. Now therefore you you, you Jews and Gentiles aren't this is particularly Gentiles in Ephesus though. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Gentiles fully brought into the church. We're all one family. We're one new man, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. We're all one in Christ, right? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, do you see the building metaphor? Okay, the foundation was laid by the apostles and prophets 2,000 years ago for the church, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole building, now what's the whole building? If it was established by the holy prophets, by the prophets and apostles in the New Testament, and the Lord is the chief cornerstone, what's the whole building? It's all of the church age, of all the ages from the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 until the rapture. So the whole building is the universal church, every believer in the New Testament. We're part of the whole building being fitted together. We have our little, we have our little part of like Nehemiah's wall. We have our part of God's whole big temple. Little Faith Baptist Church is maybe a little stone right here in this part of the building. Can you picture that? Okay, we're being fit together. We're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That word holy temple the word temple is not like the big building temple, but it's the inner sanctuary where God dwells. Naos. That's, it's the part where God dwelt. This right here is like a little special dwelling place. It's like a holy of holies, a little special dwelling place of God. Verse 22, in whom you also, you Ephesians also, are being built together. Is that a local church or the big church? you you ephesians are being built that's a little church so this is their local church being built together for a dwelling place of god in the spirit paul says yeah there's a big church it's universal it's a whole building that god is putting together and you're one little speck of it but you're also a temple of your own where the spirit of god dwells in your midst so does god take the church seriously or not seriously very seriously all right, so I guess I'm stressing that too much, but you get the idea, right? So, what's my challenge? Here it is: love the church. Is the church always lovely? It's rarely lovely. We're warted and flawed and sinful. All of us come in, bring, bring in all sorts of things, right? We're not. It's not easy to love, and to, but you know what? It's it's required. We need to. We need to show the world what what really happens with the love of Christ, with a body of believers like this. That's what makes the church unique. We have the Holy Spirit, so we can love like Jesus loves. We can forgive like Jesus forgives. We can talk to one another like Jesus does. We have Christ in common. He's the rejoicing that he's the center and the treasure of our hearts. Do, do you see it? Okay, now the last bit of time we have, we're going to go quickly to the book of Jude. If there's one book where you can find some more insight we're going to look at Jude. Here's my the final insight on these issues of, of the church. Jude. And just for a few minutes, let's talk. Jude is, was, he is still, the half-brother of Jesus. All right? His parents were Mary and Joseph. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12, but... He's writing a letter, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. See, he wanted to write about the cross and salvation and the forgiveness of sins and life eternal, great and lofty themes. Who wouldn't? I would much rather preach a thousand messages on the cross and eternal life than one message on the dangers of divisive and enemies that creep into the church. Because I don't like to go there. I mean, we have to, but... It, I would much rather have every message be about the glories of heaven, sin paid, oh, all of those wonderful things. But he writes and he says, um, verse 3, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit to change the theme of his letter. He began writing about the cross, but he couldn't. The Holy Spirit said there's something far bigger than right now that you have to deal with. There is an enemy that wants to destroy the church, and you want the church people to contend for the faith of the church. So we need to fight, contend, um, put a battle. We need to battle, get battle ready for the faith, which was complete. It's delivered once for all to the saints. Verse four, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. Where did they creep into? The church. They're there. So you have to warn everybody because God's temple is precious. It's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So certain men have crept in. This word crept in, it's used of an alligator um, on the banks of a river waiting for its prey. And then, you know how, have you ever seen an alligator slip into the water? You hardly see a ripple. You got this gigantic alligator, which weighs who knows how much, and it's got pointy things, and it's just rough looking. But when it slips into the water, it can slip in with hardly a ripple. It's almost like, wow, where did that go? And then it just sits there with its eyes above, without making a move until it gets its prey. And that's what is being written. There are people that come in, and they look great, and they talk great, and they, they're fun, and they're great to be with. But there's a problem. They're, they're divisive, and they will tear apart the entire church. And leave nothing but shreds. And then he goes on and reminds them in verses five, six, and seven that God will always judge those who do that. People that didn't go into the promised land because of unbelief, God judged. The angels that left their domain and went after the daughters of, of men in Genesis 6, they got their punishment. Sodom and Gomorrah got their punishment. God's always going to take care, it's like 1 Corinthians 3, isn't it? You, de- you, you destroy God's church, he'll destroy you. And then my big point then is this, verse 11. Woe to them. Woe to these people that creep in and seek to destroy the church. Verse 11. For they have gone in the way of Cain, they have run greedily in the air of Balaam for prophets, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. So let's end with these three men. These three men all pick a point that we better be on guard for. Cain, these people that creep in to destroy churches, they first of all, they come in the way of Cain. You know who's Cain? Cain, Cain and Abel, back in Adam and Eve's day. God made it really clear by his word. There's only one way you approach me, God said. He made it clear. Blood, a bl- you have to bring an animal. An animal must die in order for you to come to me. Because... The wages of sin is death, and something has to die in your place, or God cannot accept you, temporarily, even in the Old Testament. So what happens in Genesis chapter 4? Cain brings the best fruits, the best vegetables, the work of his hand. Did he know better? You bet he did. He knew God's way. He knew God's way was there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. He knew, in order to meet God, I must shed an animal's blood. He chose to ignore the word of God he chose to know the word of God and refuse the word of God and the Bible says his sacrifice was not accepted and his countenance fell he got angry at God because he thought he deserved an audience with God based on what he could do and Abel comes God's way with like it says in Hebrews 11 a more excellent sacrifice what was more excellent about a sacrifice there was blood dripping from it. And God looked at the blood and said, Good, that animal died for you, tempor- that, for you, for your sin, so now I can receive you. So he did not accept Cain. Why? Cain, Listen, you guys, Cain knew the word. He ignored the word. Could that ever happen in a church where people hear the word, they know the word, and they ignore the word? You bet it does. What happens to a church when people do that? there become cracks in the walls, and pretty soon there's gaps in the walls, and pretty soon it's over. Listen, I'm going to plead with you. We've been here for almost 50 years. I've been here 24, almost half of the life of this church I've been here. And I want to beg you, don't ignore the word. Like, whatever the word says, do. Do it. We're not going to have a problem with somebody coming in with a false way of salvation. We're not going to accept them. We're not going to let them preach. They're not going to sing in the choir. No, it's not going to happen. But there's other ways that we can hear God's word and turn our back on it and say, I'm not going to do it. I know what he says, but I'm not going to. All right? Be careful. That's, where, that's, that's a, a, a big warning. Second person. These people that have come in, not only have gone in the way of Cain, but they have run. They're not just in the way of Cain, now they're running. See, the, it picks up speed here. Run greedily in the air of Balaam. Now, you know, Balaam's problem, Balaam was hired to curse Israel. And in Numbers 22 through 24, he went up, um, the king of Moab looked down and saw, uh, saw Israel camped and wanted to curse them because their God had been so successful, and Balaam would stand up and he could not curse them, he could only bless them. Remember that? Happened four times. It goes to a higher peak, all of that. We have the story of the donkey. We have, I mean, so that's the whole story of Balaam. Here's the problem Balaam sold God out for money. He said to Israel, I know how you can get around it. I can't curse your Israel because their God is too powerful. He said that the king of Moab, but I know what you can do to cause the the nation to fall. You get your women to marry their men. And once you contaminate them because their men will want your women and they're going to lose their faith and hope in God, the whole nation will crumble. Now give me a fee. I want some money because I just gave you the way out. Did it happen? It happened, and forty thousand Israelites died because of it. Lots of lives died because they compromised the word. So it's not only ignoring the word; it's it's compromising the word. It's saying, "Let let's yeah, the word of God it's true, it's right, but um, Balaam he simply opposed God's word." Compromised it. And then lastly, you have Qurra. If there's anyone then that maybe would go closest to Titus, it might be Kara. These people that have crept into the church unnoticed and they're causing issues and problems that Titus says we need to be aware of and to stop quickly, this they are they're also they're perishing in the rebellion of Kara. Rebellion. They're insubordinate. They they can't take authority. They can't take correction. Now, what was Korah all about? Number 16. Remember the story of Korah? Korah was of what tribe? Levi. He was of Levi. Now, Aaron and Moses were from Levi, but God chose Aaron to be the priestly line. So out of all the Levites, there were only some that were priests. You had to be in the line of Aaron to be priests. Okay, Aaron was the high priest. Moses was Levi, Was of Levites as well. So here's Korah, a relative of Aaron and Moses. And Korah, this man was able to get. Let's go. Okay, I'll just tell you really, really quickly. Um, you don't have to go there. I'll just go to Numbers 16, verse 1. Listen to this. Now, Korah, the son of Itzar, the son of Kohat, that's why I didn't want to do it by memory, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelit, sons of Reuben, took men. So you have Korah, you have Dathan, and you have On. Kara found two other men and began talking to them. Can you picture? They're going to the tents. Hey, listen, I got something. We're tired of Aaron and Moses always be in charge. Why can't we be in charge? It's not fair. Aaron and Moses get to do all the talking. They get to meet with the Lord. It is just not fair. Hey, the, the three of us, if the three of us can start talking after service, we'll start whispering. We'll start talking. We're going to go against Moses and Aaron's authority, and will take over. Why should they get all the fun? And Korah was able to get 250 of men of renown, the 250 best men in the nation Israel they were able to get on their side. Was that subversive? Was that dangerous? Was it hard, Was it bad for the whole nation? Did it affect the nation's testimony with the rest of the world? You bet it did. It all started with one man who crept in and said, I want more. I don't like how Aaron and Moses are doing it. It's got to be different. So On, Dathan, Dathan, the three of us, they went and they were able to get 250 men on their side. And the next thing you know, they're going up to Moses and Aaron saying, all right, Moses, who put you in charge? You got us up to this point, but we're taking over from here. What does God do? Moses falls on his face and says, tomorrow God will reveal who he, put, who he wants in charge. Um, and then the next day, God said, Moses, I'm going to do something I haven't done in all history. It's Numbers chapter 16. Moses, 1400 BC. Creation started 4000 BC, probably. You're talking all of those thousands of years, God said there was something I've never done to the planet, I'm going to do today for the first time. Remember what it was? An earthquake. I'm going to open the earth and all of the rebellion is going to go in the crack and then I'm going to close the earth up over them. There'd never been an earthquake before that. God said it's going to be something new. It's a new judgment. It's called earthquake. So sure enough, the earth opens, swallows up all of those men and then closes them in. All of the censers of incense that the priests would use, that the men of renown, 250 of them. Moses said, "Hammer them out, make a covering for the altar." And every time we see that, we're going to remember, don't rebel against what God has established. Isn't that amazing? Who likes authority? Hardly anybody. I mean, nobody likes stop signs. Nobody likes speed limit signs. Right? Sorry, Vic, but who does? <laughs> I mean, I do, but, <laughs> but no, seriously. You just, you know, I'm, people are doing all sorts of crazy things on the road. And I'm like, don't they care about anything? And like, be, nobody cares about much authority wise and it's it's crept into the church and it's crept into our schools and it's crept into our homes children are talking to their parents like i can't i would be like i would i could never say that to my mom and dad growing up they would have beaten us well oh, they would have they would have beaten us and said you don't ever talk to us like that we're your parents we're in charge you know what what has happened but that's what's going on and do you expect to see more or less than this of this in the future more is it going to affect the church more or less way more what are we going to do? Be unified. Don't let it happen. Address it. Kindly, gently address it. Wow, you know what? I'm not going to talk like that. Let's not think like that. Let's go to that person and talk to the person, not about them or whatever. And you know what? God's going to bless. The whole thing goes on on better and better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Just for a little bit more study about what Titus was bringing about to our, to our knowledge today about improving the ministry, that um, there are times when the church is going to be attacked and hurt, and even from the inside, things will happen, and it's discouraging, and it's hard, and we almost feel like giving up, but we're told to be ready for battle all the time. There's not a time on this earth until we die and go to heaven that we won't be in, in battle mode. This is, a, this is a battleground, not a playground. And so I pray, Father, that we'd be armed, we'd be ready, we'd be compassionate, rebuking people sharply if needed, but so that they would come and be sound and healthy in the faith. We don't do it to punish people or to be evil, but we do it so that they could become healthy, solid, doctrinal men and women. So help us, Father, have a great love for one another. Help us have a unity and a joy that we've never experienced before. But it's going to come from the Holy Spirit, it's going to come from our humility and our obedience to the word. Don't let us, Father, ignore the word that we've heard, even tonight. All these weeks and months and years of messages, we don't want to ignore one drop of it. So put it in us, Father, just a renewed heart, a refreshed spirit, eager and ready to love the Savior more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.